Hi, this is Richard Baum. Welcome to Loving Legacy. Now, at the beginning of this episode, there's a slight bit of swearing, but I hope you'll agree it adds some context. Let's get on with the show. The first panel is like, this is how to draw an owl. And it's like a little bit of a squiggle at the back of the wing and then a little bit more, maybe the, the tip of the thing. And then it's the whole drawn picture of an owl. And it's like, step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, draw the fucking owl, you know? <laughs> that's what SLOs are like. And that's what everyone focuses on. But the other side of it was that it seems to me we need a way in the digital era to say when we want to achieve something, we want to create something for, for customers and get some outcome, a business outcome, a customer outcome, whatever it is. And we go and build the stuff, and then we never check whether we achieve that. Hello, and welcome to the Loving Legacy podcast. I'm joined this week by Stephen Townsend, and we're going to talk about observability. Stephen, thanks for joining me. No problem. It's a pleasure to be here. So perhaps before we dive into the subject, which is fantastic, I think, um, maybe you could tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So I, I'm currently a developer advocate, but just going back to the rest of my career, which has been about... 15 years now, I guess, maybe a bit more. I studied computer science uh, and then I decided uh, during that time that I couldn't possibly work in technology. So I auditioned for uh, Toy which is the New Zealand drama school. And, and, and so I trained for three years to be a professional actor. I thought, this is it. This is the dream. I'm gonna, this is wow. going to be my life. And it was like a pretty awesome experience. But uh, I'm from New Zealand, small country. There's not a lot of acting work. So I started looking for technology work after three and a half years, having finished my degree. Uh, no one would hire me uh, and as a developer. But I managed to somehow land this job as a junior performance tester uh, for a consulting company. And yeah. then I did performance testing and performance engineering for 13 years. And then about a year and a half ago, I transitioned into the world of uh SRE, site reliability engineering, which or service reliability engineering, depending on what your context is. And then about three months ago, I joined a company called Squid Up, who do unified dashboarding and visualization um, as a developer advocate. It's been pretty fantastic so far. Sounds good. You have to deal with developers a lot, presumably, as well, because you're an advocate for them. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, so that's that would be um, the community. Um, our customers, but I'm also sort of working internally, almost like a consultant, uh, to sort of uplift our own observability and ways of working, and sort of eat our own dog food. We say all these fancy concepts, and let's try let's try them internally and see if they work. Fantastic, because I, I I find so my background is development, and I've kind of come through that path and done various bits and bobs, and but a large part of that, and the bits that I've always found the most enjoying are the customer touch points. Basically, how do you find that juxtaposition of requirements because there's always that push for features this is the whole point of it i suppose there's a push for features but the observability and the uh, monitoring and understanding of where we are actually are with our product sometimes it gets overlooked doesn't it uh, so, in terms of like developers or any anyone working in technology even operations in the operations world uh, i just came from a massive enterprise before and there was a massive disconnection between the day-to-day work or what's what's on the minds of the people in those engineering teams versus the actual customers and the business you know that this is all for the massive disconnect because there's so many layers of bureaucracy uh the 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 idea of product management is supposed to be this conduit or product ownership that sort of brings it together but it, it's in practice in very big organizations it's it seems very hard to do 
it's it's a bit different now working for a small product company where it's so small that we're all together and it's more about trying to figure out you know how things are landing with customers you can interview them of course but then how do you get like bigger picture data about that that's actually meaningful and actually accurate that helps you direct your where to go next so yeah i think it's a it's a pretty challenging thing but and what you were saying about you know tying it back to observability um observability is the buzzword obviously and i'm sure we can go into lots of detail about what it is and what it isn't recently i I've always had this idea in my head. I didn't look up a definition and no one sort of told me this is observability. You know, this is what it is. <laughs> so I just thought, okay, what does it mean? It must mean how observable something is. Okay, what does that mean? And it sort of, it seemed to me it was two things, but most people only think of one of them. And that is it's the ability to sort of understand the internal state of a complex system in order to better understand what to understand behavior, remediate issues, um, look for opportunities to optimize and tune and improve it. And that's what everyone focuses on. You know, massive, massive community and industry around that. But the other side of it was, it seems to me, we need a way in the digital era to say we want to, we want to achieve something, want to create something for, for customers and get some outcome, a business outcome, a customer outcome, whatever it is. And we go and build the stuff, and then we never check whether we achieve that. There's this mm-hmm. total missing element of we built this thing. Did we actually achieve what we set out to do? And that seems like the most important thing in the entire world <laughs> to me when it comes to software. And um, th- I mean, there's this book I read recently, Sooner Safer Happier by Jonathan Smart. And it talks about the digital era we work in and how we work with unknowable unknowns. So it's basically chaos. There is no way that anyone can go, here's an idea, let's implement it, and this is what will happen. It's literally impossible because of the complexity of the technology and business and industry. The only way we can actually carve a path forward is try something, experiment, you know, do a little bit of something, put it in front of real customers and business, see what happens and adjust. That is literally the only way that you can succeed. So Yeah, it's kind of like, sorry to interrupt, interrupt, but you sparked something with me there. It's almost like the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, isn't it? It's kind of like the act of observation changes what you're trying to do in the first place, you know, sometimes, because you kind of get to a point where, yeah, I mean, even with a quite throwaway feature implementation or something like that, you can still lose sight of what you're trying to achieve by the time it's gone into production, let alone be observed, you know? Mm. I think good observability should, what you said, uh, change you know the the act of observing it should change something otherwise what's the point if we just observe it passively and go hey look at that <laughs> it's crashing and burning or hey no one's using this thing and then not do anything about it yeah well exactly if you even get as far as a metric on a dashboard somewhere it just mm. gets ignored so how do you close that loop i suppose is the thing so that is that is that the the kind of the, the bit that's interests you the most the kind of closing that loop and and if so how would you go about that i think it is closing that loop yeah. And of, of course, just having observability, just answering those questions isn't the the answer in itself. It's it's kind of about that relationship between different stakeholders that make up an organization or, you know, that they're putting it all together. So having that clear line of communication between the leadership and the executives who have these business goals they want to achieve between you know, the product owners or managers that those teams who want particular outcome for customers maybe and then the engineers who want things to run smoothly and uh, and also want to do, to be able to deliver quickly and reliably 
as well as operate it effectively uh, and combining all these things in a meaningful way. I mean, I kind of say, as I, as I say that, it sounds like this very challenging thing because each group of stakeholders speaks a different language. And, but there has to be some common ground, some sort of sweet spot. Yeah, I mean, and I see, I see that pattern replicated across industry completely. So how do you find, yeah, do you find that it does change according to the scale of the company? Because I've seen this happen even in quite small companies as well. They're kind of, it's kind of like, there's an industry standard that we need to do things a certain way. So for example, looking at the Dora metrics, which are, I think everyone kind of agrees, are a great baseline for understanding how, well, yeah, how can we define this in a nice way? <laughs> <laughs> because it's not about delivering customer value. It's kind of, it, it's it's really about understanding we're not breaking stuff. That's the way I see it in some ways, that we're not breaking things as, as an experience and we're doing things at a reasonably fast pace. It's not really about value, I would say. What do you think? It kind of, to me, says that there's like a machine which produces uh, outcomes, you know, supposedly creating outcomes for business or customer, and it tells you how well all that machine is. It doesn't necessarily tell you whether the outcomes are happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just that the machine's humming along nicely. Which, you know, to be fair, <laughs> is something that the, that knowledge is missing from most organizations that I've ever worked with. So it, it's a good starting point. To have Definitely. That understanding. Hmm. Yeah. And have you been involved in implementation of Dora metrics at all or parts of them? So we're looking at them at Squid Up internally. Um, and it's really interesting. There's actually someone else leading it and I'm just sort of assisting. But it's I love it. It's really exciting to me to actually do it. And and have these things like here's a metric. What does that mean? What does lead time mean to us? Like exactly from what point to what point? And then even if we measure that, what does it actually tell us? You know, how does it help us as an organization? And, you know, what I think is interesting about trying to implement door metrics is you do a thing and you'll get a number and then you'll start questioning it. And it just opens up really interesting questions. For example, you know, we were talking about um, mean time to recovery, I think it was today. And we had this, I don't know, we had this some figure, it was like five days. And then we started saying, what does that, what does that include? Like what kind of, I don't know, bugs or incidences, and does that include? And, and do we need to classify that? And and then, oh, it actually turns out that there's two different kinds of things. And, you know, it, it starts really interesting conversations about what does it mean and do we need to do something about it? Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's great that, well, I, I find relief in it because I've been involved in meetings previously, in previous jobs, where no one knows what to define to begin with. So like, what is useful? Lead time is kind of get, is generally agreed is, it, is a good one. Uh, mm. So that's the time from when a um, either an incident or a feature is created in, like, for example, Jira, to the time that it actually arrives in production in front of a customer, as, as my understanding of it. There's, there's, there's debate over whether or not it's behind a feature flag. So is it in production? Is it actually released to a customer? That kind of stuff. And I think that's, that's fair enough. However, I found there's been so much debate over what the metrics are in the first place, that sometimes the implementation gets completely is way further down the line, so you don't even get to that part. But yeah, as you say, it's great to have those conversations, but when do those conversations start to be actually useful to the customer, I suppose? Mm. <laughs> that is a very good question. Maybe that, maybe... Like I, like I was saying, they, they probably, maybe they don't. They, what they do is they, they get rid of all of this other mess, which is going to get in the way of technology teams being able to deliver outcomes 
to let them focus on that. But then there's some other, there's another world around, you know, stuff I don't know, maybe not that much about around how do we either understand what a business or customer group wants or needs and then so we can articulate and deliver that or if it's a new product maybe without a clear set of customers already yeah. you know to understand what the market needs or what what the need is or the opportunity what's going to excite people delight people or whatever yeah that's kind of beyond my knowledge at the moment how to do that i don't know i don't have the answer yeah i think yet. well i think if you can answer that then you, just to be honest we've solved a lot of the question of why we create software, something which kind of bothers me because the <laughs> name of this podcast is Loving Legacy and I'd like to give legacy a second chance, really. Like kind of understand why we're so keen to rebuild stuff. And is that just a, uh, an itch that either a founder or an owner or a senior person coming into a certain role wants to kind of throw their weight around a little bit and create something new? Or is it just the case of the, the thing isn't fit for purpose anymore, mm. the, the legacy system or the way that we're working stuff? Or is it Various other reasons, for example, that is laden with tech debt or the st- technology stack's too old or, or something like that. Mm. However, yeah, I, I'm really interested to, to dive down a little bit more into what observability actually is and how it's implemented like these these days in inverted commas because I'm from the old school where it was like diving into logs. So you'd have a server log somewhere and you'd be SSHing to a machine and then gripping it and all that kind of stuff. What does observability mean for you these days and how that how is that kind of approached okay i think well I th- it's definitely worth starting with the sort of classical not the classical definition there's no it's not classical the the software observability definitions i'm actually reading i'm only a few chapters in to observability engineering at the moment um, cool. by charity majors liz Fong jones and george brander uh yeah i think i i think i wrote down how they describe it it's a measure of how well you can understand and explain any state that your system can get into, no matter how novel or bizarre. So that that's the that's the summarized um, sort of definition from the book, and I tend to agree with it. And I think it's about, you know, I think tr- it's been a lot of use of logs and and metrics in in the past. My entire career has been filled with it. I guess what's kind of new is distributed tracing, because for, for better or worse, you know, maybe legacy was good in a way because it was simpler. Now with serverless and containers and all these ephemeral objects and well, they're being scattered everywhere, it's just hard to know what's happening. You yeah, know, a user clicked a button. Where did it go? And, yeah. and 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 what was the path like? Did it just go to one thing, or did it call something a hundred thousand times before it moved on? Like, how, what's going on? So, distributed tracing, I think, is a good example of a technique which is trying to solve. Know, answer that that question like what's happening so that when something goes wrong and the customers not getting what getting outcomes they want then you can answer those questions and i think that is by far the biggest focus of what people are talking about in the world of observability and don't get me wrong i think that's hugely valuable it's very valuable i remember you know not even not that long ago like three or four years ago trying to do exactly the same thing that distributed tracing does, but without distributed traces, just by getting logs from all these different servers all over the place using you know, uh, trace IDs and then writing my own Python or PowerShell codes, like pull it all together into data and then plot it in a visualization tool to see the, the, the flow chart of how, what's happening. You know, I, it's like, it's not new, but it's just mm-hmm. becoming, it's becoming not a manual task that took me uh, used to take me a week maybe to get one flowchart. Now you should theoretically be able to get it 
whenever you want it. But it's that it's the setting up which is hard. So that's and indeed, the, yeah, yeah. So sorry to jump in there as well. The and one thing that I noticed a few years ago was there was a great pop, well, things like Splunk, for example, and Datadog, like um, proprietary solutions where you can just point stuff at a a lake of data, as they call it, and mm. uh, just ingest it all, and then no one looks at it, or you, or you write the wrong report. So it's kind of there's a. And then, of course, the bills start coming in, and people go, "Oh my god, I can't afford to pay for this anymore. It's ridiculous." So, so would have you seen, yeah, any kind of migration from the kind of one-stop shops uh, solutions like that towards more kind of homegrown? We need to get back to the actual data, and then, yeah, seeing it as a kind of its own, um, how would you say it? Maybe almost department within an organization to focus on observability alongside SRE or as part of SRE, maybe. I do definitely see two things. In my last role, we, the, we were using Splunk. Um, There's a lot of Splunk. And also New Relic, uh, sort of from an application performance monitoring perspective. But even the little bit, you know, we're doing you know a fair amount of work with those things. They were, but the bills were so high already that we were talking about, well, maybe we should pull some of the stuff on-prem and use an open source tool. And our SRE team was building some of that stuff, you know, standing up on-premise, this is free for you to use Prometheus. We'll help you set it up and configure it. And you can use this Grafana instance to, you know, it's it's different than what you had in Splunk, but it's free in, yeah. and we can make it scalable, you know. Observability as a product, which is the the buzzword, of course. Everything has to be a product these days. Yeah. Yeah, the platform. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's a bit of an anti-pattern, but I, I mean, I think it is happening. Yeah. Well, we've always had sort of, IT operations teams who seem to be the, the only people who cared or did anything in the world of monitoring. That's it. it. That's yeah. it. You know, this whole DevOps nonsense, I would say nonsense, but it is, um, comes about because people want to know what's going on. You know, it's like what a developer or an operations, but or whoever in between, whatever color of their skin or sex or whatever, you know, they some people are interested in this stuff and some people just want to turn up to a day job and do a day job kind of thing. And that's nothing wrong with that. It's just the investment in the product itself. I've used the P word again. Investment in the in the um, in the customer experience. I suppose you'd say the the end customer experience for some is greater than for others, and that drives us or them to create these or look into the creation of these tools. And that's why these amazing platforms like um, Splunk do turn up because because yeah, when it when something like that does arrive, and you go, oh, hang on a sec, this makes things a lot easier for me to to investigate what was going on previously mm-hmm. brilliant um but i yeah i would say that the, the 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 questioning thing has always been there in in certain people how do we make that how do you bring that out i don't know give them a difficult problem to solve i was talking to someone else recently uh, who's an observability person like, i think there's there are observability people i guess now i'm one of them um yeah. <laughs> and i asked the question how you know how do you get you know engineers just who aren't their job isn't to observe things uh, understanding the value of this and interested in it. And one of the answers is, well, we need to enforce you build it, you run it. What do you think of that? <laughs> I'm curious. What do you think of you build it, you run it as a concept? Uh, yeah, I think as a concept, it's okay. Although I just have so many battle scars from early on in my career as well, a long time ago when I was doing that, building it and running it or, and actually being on real pager duty with a real pager kind of thing. That's how old it was. Um, and just being burnt out from that. So it's fine as long as you manage that, I think, in the right way. 
so yeah you can you can do this it, it depends on a lot of you know, like so many answers it depends you know depends on a lot of things but i like the concept of it for sure and also as a big fan of of uh books like um the phoenix project unicorn project and, and that kind of that storytelling vibe is strong in in the way that i feel that you mo you yeah you most connect with a bit of software that you're working on you, you do have to put a little piece of yourself in there you know mm. put a bit of skin in the game as they say um to 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 make it a reality a good reality and i don't think mm. there's anything wrong with that but you have to approach it and manage it carefully mm. You, you asked me earlier what my def, what my definition of observability was, and I talked about the software side of it. I guess, you know, I'm thinking right now about a lot about this because I think the other side of it for me is, I guess, what you traditionally would call BI. Um, but when I think of BI, I think of like quite large teams of people doing a bunch of stuff, huge amounts of data, da- data, which you know, and, and like monthly and quarterly reports. You know what I mean? As opposed to, I think that there's something in that in that world where we want to understand. You know, we've got a business objective. We want to gain five hundred thousand customers this year. Are we on track? How are we tracking? And I want to see that in real time, constantly, like just like we would monitor anything else. So that's the other side of it for me. Is is, is monitoring monitoring as if it's like a technology system, business and customer. Yeah. Like I said, so 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 once you're doing that, then you can say, "Are we on track? Do we need to pivot or adjust, or you know what we're doing to get their feedback?" And I I, I don't know. That's what I'm experimenting with right now. That's good nice. as well internally. And I think um, from yeah, what I've seen that do, that is done typically by sales teams as well. So if if sales teams have a, have a target, of course, they will say, "Well, well are we on track?" They want to know. You know, and they they're less concerned about what they're trying to sell. I would say a lot typically. I don't want to be unfair to to sales people generally. They're less concerned about what they're trying to sell. They're trying to achieve their targets through through some method, and they will track this stuff because they have vested interest in making sure that those those targets are met for the obviously for their own benefit and for the company's mm-hmm. benefit. So, even in quite small companies, I've seen even scale ups, for example, maybe two hundred people. Uh, I've seen and get to a point where there's such a disconnect between the engineering output and what's going on in the in the, in the product and the the sales or the business side as you might see it that that yeah it'll all be held in excel so typically the <laughs> and that's pretty much the answer for a lot of business pro- problems accounting and finance all in excel um mm. and sales all in excel or something else you know or there, maybe there'll be salesforce or some something that will help a crm perhaps but typically it'll be close as close to the person as possible under their control anytime <laughs> you put a system in between or or a, a build process between you, yourself and having that knowledge it it just it kind of uh disappears down into an excel hole <laughs> i i guess the third group there is the sort of product ownership management team who might be looking actually looking at information around yes. the customer like say there's a customer journey that they want people to go like what's the drop-off rate on each step of it and you know how long are they spending that, that kind of stuff which is it can be really useful knowledge but you know but I think the real lost lost opportunity is, hey, the, we're making technology changes. How does it change these other things? Like these these metrics we're following, which matter to us. We made this big change. We expected it to change this thing. Did it? Like so connecting up those three domains into one. <laughs> so maybe we could talk a little bit about. Um, so what does the company squared up? What does your, what does your company do? Yeah, it, it's basically the idea that um, I'm sure, from my experience anyway. Every organization that I've worked with has these monitoring tools and usually quite a lot of them. 
So one team over here has this tool, that team has another tool, and it's never unified. And there's sort of these silos of knowledge and they don't necessarily share or make it open. So I think the way what Squared Up does is that you have this one place that you can create, almost tell stories by dashboards and visuals uh, and connect via in real time using APIs to all these different things and pull in all the data in real time. It doesn't store the data. It just displays it all and shows it all in real time. There's a bit more to it than that. That does store some metadata so that you can sort of see connections between things coming from different places. But yeah, that, that's sort of the general idea. Okay, so I'm, I've got my first thought is like, so do you do historical data as well? So if you don't store it, do you handle history in some way? No, so you no, so, so you'd need to store wherever it's coming from. It needs to be stored in order to have historical okay. data. There. Yeah. So bringing that knowledge into a place where it can be, yeah acted upon so do you have any examples of when of, of, of that in use i suppose or a typical use case yeah well it's a it's a new product but we're using it right now so we have just taken a new direction um, with the product some really focused for the year our ceo is stepping in as uh, chief product officer uh, and he's really driving the product he wants to know how is the product going and in the wider context and so Okay. I've been running these workshops with a few few people, uh, including him, to sort of figure out, okay, in terms of business and customer and uh, technology, both the technology itself and how we're operating and delivering it, what, you know, what is actually important for us to know? Like what, I keep using the word indicators, so you could, you could say KPIs maybe. What are the things which, which, if we look at this, actually tell us if we're heading in the right direction? So we've been having these really interesting workshops and, uh, and and it's very weird to come from an engineering background and be talking about all these business objectives and things, but it's, it's great. It's fantastic. So we have these workshops and then my job is to, once we figure out what these indicators or KPIs are, to go and pull them together, build a view that shows all these things together and how they interact with each other. So uh, the first one I'm looking at, we, we had this, we figured out our North Star metric is monthly active users. And we had to define what that meant because it could mean a lot of things. And then I've been using, um, going. You know, where do I get this data from? Uh, there's lots of different places, um, but I ended up going to Google BigQuery because we seem to dump a bunch of analytics data on there, you know, which is maybe something a traditional observability engineer wouldn't do, but it's fantastic. You know, It's the same process, but you're pulling in information about customers and business, and it's, it's great. So um, that's what I've been doing. Uh, and it's early days, but that's the first thing I've been working on. Awesome. Yeah, because that's, yeah, going back to what we talked about earlier, that connection between engineering and business is, if you can close that gap a little bit and get excited about it, then surely that's kind of done deal, really, isn't it? Because you understand where things are going. I, I wonder, I suppose, and this is maybe a question for someone who is kind of running the company or running a company, who, who would, like, how it can also become a little bit of a following indicator maybe sometimes and you kind of like you're tempted to do keep on doing more of the same thing so how you interpret that data is going to be key i suppose depending on what you're trying to do yeah oh, this is terrible i always get whenever you say like leading and lagging indicators like i know what they are and then immediately when i think about it i get confused again following anyway so yeah <laughs> i called it the wrong thing but yeah well in that in that in those terms um you're you're measuring what you've decided to measure, and then yeah. you're and then you're making your your decisions based on what you decided to measure. Maybe not looking at stuff which you should be measuring. You see what I mean? Yeah, but that's that's why I think all of this. I think that 
anything in observability and in the wider sense that I'm talking about, or even if you're doing software observability, it needs to be thoughtful and continual. Like it can't be, we've set it up, we're done. You know, we don't have to think about it ever again. I mean, yeah, and something sparked me there around a couple of things. Firstly, when do you know that a metric isn't working anymore and what do you do about it? So kind of like, is it a case of you have to kind of prune occasionally as well and not show stuff, which is maybe not helpful to, mm-hmm. to where you're going? And secondly, what's the visibility on the metrics typically i mean yeah it's obviously up to you or one as a business to decide but would you advocate for sometimes it being completely open and global and everyone looking at be able to see it on a dashboard or or in a bayer or something like that or would you say no sometimes we need to kind of bring just keep this to ourselves you know and when i say public maybe public internally rather than public to, to, to customers yeah uh, I'm generally of the opinion. I like the I've, I've liked the term democratizing data. So, making it free and available for anyone to consume should be no secrets to hide. Um, so that's generally my perspective. But I've been in situations going back earlier in my career where I know too much about the finances and the health of a company and the pressures that executives are going through, and that just trickled down to me. And then I felt incredible anxiety about it. So I think there are you know, everyone doesn't need to know everything. I think sometimes it's it's good to <laughs> not push the, the, all the stress and burden and anxiety down the company so everyone's feeling it. Yeah, there's a lot of that sort of short-term thinking where <laughs> when the direction of a company is just constantly changing based on who's in leadership at that particular time or what someone thinks they need to do to get a bonus. So it's not even about the product, it's more about the process. Mm. It's easy to get distracted and easy to kind of like get all these dashboards and sorry, gone down a black hole there. No, no, no. I know what you mean. We change things too often and it's a huge, it's, it's, it's a real shame. The, one of the things I used to love about performance testing is that when I used to do workload modeling, uh, which is you, you, you want to understand, you know, what sort of load as a system going to be under in terms of, you know, different user groups and what they're doing and the key, you know, services or transactions they're completing and, and how that fluctuates and changes over the year and the month and the week and the day and the hour. That's I love that. That was a really interesting part of that job. And some clients I'd go to and they would have like seven years of data and being able to go back and say, see their whole business and all the customers and the, maybe the orders for a retail site that have gone through for, for seven years and show them. It's just amazing, you know, and being able to see very clearly yeah, oh, year on year, 20% growth. We've got fair amounts of confidence it's going to happen again. We've got to be ready for it. Are we ready for it? You know, I think historic data is fantastic. If you can, that if you can that is, story. yeah, that is brilliant. So when you can actually put that in front of someone and show them, then it's like light bulb moment for sure. Mm-hmm. So how typically would that then move on? Would they say, great, fantastic, thank you very much. We can, we, we've got it from now. Or would they then implement something which would allow them to have this this insight on a on a daily basis? Well, this is going back to the, I mean, this is one of the reasons I wanted to, I wanted to move out of performance testing and engineering is that you do this thing once and use it as an input into how you test the you know load test uh, and you'd put it you know you'd say here it is and you put it down and everyone's like that's amazing and then never look at it again you know there would be no setting or something up to to continue to look at it it would just be okay. a one off thing and so that's why I, th- I thought if I get into this field of SRE it sounds like uh, I'm going to get a chance to, you know, t- to set things up like that, which I think are actually far more valuable in a way than creating, you know, spending weeks 
or months creating this elaborate low test suite and running it in in this environment which is in production you know it seems like a huge waste of opportunity at times yeah and you'd hope with the advances that we have now in terms of observability that you can do it in production basically as well there's kind of like in some ways come full circle we've tried to kind of do it in dev or do it in test by making all our aligning all our environments but again it comes down to costs a lot of the time you don't want to be able to stand up a dev or a test environment which is the same size or performance as production because it costs too much especially cloud-based these days too so the only place you're going to get meaningful data is in production so maybe that's that's the convergence point now isn't it is that and that's why this is such an, an interesting field because it's got to a point now where we've realized that there's only one place where we can do it. So we might as well get this super fast, you know, same, same with DevOps. I mean, for many years it was, Oh yeah, we need to create pull requests and we need to do feature branches to be able to separate all of our, our different streams of work. But now it's like, no, we'll need to do trunk based development. We want to get stuff into production as soon as possible, but make sure that it's good before we get there. How can we kind of shave that process off as well? So, or make that process slimmer, I should say. Okay. That's really interesting. (laughs) I have this, um, I host a public podcast called Slight Reliability, and it's about SRE. But I got a because I know from the community a performance engineer called Joey Hendricks, and there's an interview I did with him. He does performance testing in production, and he used this uh, analogy of Plato's forms. So Plato has this idea that there's this perfect form out there; it's the perfect of every of, of a particular thing, and it just it, and in the world of performance testing that's production and anything else we do is like a imperfect, you know, representation of, of production. So and everything we get out of it is, it's not necessarily reliable. Yeah. And that's, of course, you have to be very careful and thoughtful if you're going to perform a system production about when you do it and what you do, you know, you might, can't necessarily add new customers and put financial transactions through without a lot of, you know, preparation and forethought on how you're going to do that. It's a lot of ass covering is what it is. I mean, that's, and that's, it's all what it is. <laughs> It's all it comes down to. Someone doesn't want to lose, lose their job because of the, it was it was on their watch essentially. So they said, "Okay, you can do it without doing I don't know several acceptance tests, acceptance test runs before you go somewhere." You know, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I wonder if that's changing slowly. I mean, for example, I've worked in the financial sector for quite a while um, on various large projects, which are around yeah accounting and finance and. The go lives are always very slow. The development process was typically quite slow as well. So we'd be lucky if we get a couple of releases out a year, typically. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, you know what? The most successful companies are doing that right now. And they're doing mm-hmm. they're following the best practices that we read about in all these great books, Accelerate, etc., DevOps Handbook. They do that already and they understand it fundamentally. So that kind of brings me around. I'm sorry, I'm ranting slightly here, but it kind of brings me around to think, should we only spend our time working for companies who really get it? Um, I, I think so. If you're the kind of person who really cares about, you know, having an impact and doing, you know, doing good work and, and seeing things improve, yeah, um, I know I've got I, I go crazy. I, I I get really mentally unwell if in a situation where there's there's some stagnation and not nothing's moving forward. So yeah, if, you, if you're that kind of person, I think absolutely go find a even even a team within a company who's doing. I think potentially can give you that sense of progression. Um, I think this is a subject for a whole 
separate episode to be honest isn't it <laughs> yeah because yeah if you're committed to a piece of work you put a lot of effort into it you want to make sure that it's it's the best that you can be and also that the company that you work for is the best that it can be mm. so that's the going back to the pride going back to the commitment that you put into a role so yeah let's talk about that maybe in the future that'd be really cool okay and you mentioned also slight reliability which is how i first came to first came to talk to you in the first place i love your podcast i think it's fantastic um Best of luck with that. Stephen, I just want to say thanks for joining me. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I'd love to come back and talk about, you know, working for a, a company which makes, which aligns with how you want to feel. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. Okay, great. Good talking to you. Many thanks to Stephen for agreeing to come on. And thanks to you for joining me too. Join me next time on Loving Legacy. And if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to tell all your friends and colleagues about it and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. Till next time, bye.